So it's daylight savings time, and you know, one of the things we talk a lot about as a church, this is a, in a serious way, we talk about how so many of us throughout our lives, we've tried to earn God's favor and salvation, right? But then we've been on this journey to realize that it's all about grace. Well, on daylight savings time, I think you can tell who are the people trying to pay penance to God, and who are the people that are like, no, man, I'm under grace, it's cool. Um, the people that came here at 9.30 this morning, after losing an hour of sleep, I'm like, they owe God big time, and they're trying to make up for it. But you guys and your friends are going to come in. There'll be about 40 more people come in after I start this message. You're under grace and you're good with that, aren't you? It's good, right? Like, Ben, you don't even understand. Like, I I get here at 11.15 normally. Like, I am earning stars with God by coming to the 11 o'clock service on... um, on this particular Sunday. Well, today, it is the last time we'll see that video because we are putting the Faith That Moves series to rest for now as a church. It has been a foundational series for our church. Um, It has been uh, right in the midst of of some similar things that Shauna and I have been going through personally in our family. And it's weird. She said, Ben, you've got to just kill this series. Like, you just got to... So it's going to be 15 weeks, but today we're going to end it. Uh, Not true, but but so many people have said, like, and I'm not this prophetic in life, so don't come to me saying, hey, I'm betting on the Super Bowl. Like, who's... when? That's not my thing. But since we planned this series last fall, um, life is sort of messed up for everyone. And so what we're going to do, start next Sunday through the rest of the year, all the way through December, is do a series, just being prophetic, called Everything is Awesome, okay? So that's where we're at for the rest of the year, and it'll be prophetic as well. Um, Everything you want the rest of the year, you're going to get. Everything I want, I'm going to get, and we'll just be in there until we think it's time to move on to something else. But um, seriously, our staff and and myself as well, we've heard probably, um, I don't know, we always think about what are the series that resonate most with our people, and usually it's based on the things that we're going through. And, and, And this series, we've heard just tons of comments, people saying, I feel like everything is geared speaking directly to me. And it's really been that kind of series for me too. In fact, we talk, um, you know, you would imagine that my family, my wife especially, would want to talk about the message all week normally. Um, Not the case. Um, But we've been talking about it a lot. Not so much like, hey, Ben, I thought you did great. Like, hey, that lesson you taught, like we're in that. We're, We're in this moment. We're in this anything too hard for the Lord kind of thing. We're in this surprise kind of deal with what God asks us to do. We're in this. And so it's been amazing to see what God has done. And just to catch you up, if you're here for the first time um, or, or you're here all the time, all of our content from Sunday is on our website. And so if you've missed any of the five Sundays, I, I hear it's also a good, uh, you can go watch the video. It's, I hear it's good for insomniacs as well. It'll help you get to sleep. Um, it's amazing how many people are sleeping at 930. And I wanted to judge them and I thought, no, I can't judge them. I wish I was still sleeping right now myself. Um, but all that's on our website. So if you miss any of the five weeks or if in the future, unfortunately, you find yourself at a place that you're not in today, you find yourself at a place in the future where um, the test of faith is really bearing down on you. I hope this will be a great reminder. You can go back, watch those things that, that all of that content is archived there for you. And as I start this last uh, lesson in the Faith That Moves series, what I want to say is, I want to make sure just that we're clear across the board here that our aim in this series hasn't been to get our church or the individuals in our church to become people who who believe even more firmly in the power of positive thinking. That has not been our aim. Our aim in this series has not been that we we would become more and more increasingly the kind of people who make audacious wishes like we're growing out a bit, like we're blowing out a big fat birthday candle. We just, we just want to get better at wishing for higher things. And our aim in this series hasn't even been that we would become amazing people of faith. Faith. 
as the main thing in our lives because I don't think faith needs to be the main thing in our lives. Our series aim has been this. We want to see God build our faith in what is the main thing in our life. And it's the God who birthed us into existence, has purpose for us, is holding us together, and one day is going to provide for us with his eternal presence. That's what the point of the series is. And I hope that you're digging deeper into who he is and that you and I would be the kind of people that would trust him based on his character, not so much on what our appearances are in life or what our circumstances are in life. And so I want us to put this series to bed today by saying this from the get-go. We've got to get to a place where faith isn't the main thing in our life, but faith in the main thing is the main thing in our life. So if you have a Bible, Genesis 22 this morning. If you need one, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. You can follow along. Just a way to keep up. And it's a small gift from us here at Epic to you. What I want to say today is going to have great implications, I hope, for your life and for my life and for the future of our church. Because um, I've been in a place where I, where, where I wish big time for things, where I'm dreaming about things, where you kind of like, oh, man, I'm just thinking more positive these days. But that's not the point of faith in God. The point is, no matter how small or, or how much my faith is growing or how big my faith is in God, the big idea is the object of that faith. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you believe that this God can hold the weight of your faith regardless of what your circumstances are telling you today? So Genesis 22, let's go ahead and stand. We'll start in verse 7. We looked at this text last week. So if you want to kind of see what we were doing a two-part deal on last week, this week, we looked at this text. And and what's going on is that God has blessed Abraham and Sarah with a baby boy. And it's been incredible. And they think this is awesome. And they're receiving everything they've ever wanted. And and they feel like the, uh, they they believe that the greatest faith test is behind them. But then God comes to them in chapter 22 and is like, no, 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 it's not behind you. It's right here in front of you. I want you to take this son, the promised one, the long-awaited one. And I want you to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him there. That's what I want you to do. And here's a conversation that ensues between the son and father. So we'll look at seven through 14. And Isaac said to his father, my father, they're they're on their journey up up towards the mountain. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You thought your parents treated you bad. (laughs) Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. One word title for the message today. Provider. Provider. You may be seated. One of the hardest things we must do is trust God as our provider when he appears to be a taker. One of the hardest things you and I will ever do, listen, faith is hard enough, isn't it? 
when you aren't sure how things are going to play out, when you don't know how the interview will go, when you don't know if this is the one you should marry, when you don't know how you're going to stay in San Francisco, faith in God's provision is difficult just on its own, isn't it? But it gets really difficult when God is saying, I want you to trust me, but I'm taking what's most valuable from you. God says to Abraham, I want you to believe that I'm going to provide for you while simultaneously asking him to relinquish what's most important to him. How do we trust God to be a provider for us when when what it seems to be is that he's a taker? Anyone ever had a crisis of faith? I don't want to ask you to raise your hands. I assume it could be most of us. A crisis of faith are like, all right, God, I get that you are saying you are like this. I get that you're saying this is who you are. This is the kind of thing you do. I can look back at my past and see, yeah, you've done this a lot. But now you're asking for certain things from me that I am uncomfortable giving to you. I assume I'm not the only one that struggles to give certain parts of my life to the God who I'm just unsure of what he'll do with it when I give it to him. Or maybe I am the only one. But the things that are most valuable to us, we hold most tightly. We grip most tightly. We said last week, and God is asking Abraham, give me what matters most to you and simultaneously trust me that I'm going to provide everything that you need. In case you aren't familiar with the background of the story, God had promised that generations and nations would come through Abraham and Sarah's offspring. They wait forever. And then when he's 100 years old and and she's 90 years old, without the advances of modern medicine that we know today, when it's no longer humanly possible, Sarah gets pregnant. They're amazed at this. They rejoice. They laugh. They call his name Isaac, son of laughter. And now God is saying, hey, I want you to still trust that I'm going to provide for you, but I'm going to take something from you in the meantime. It's hard to trust God in those moments, and yet God asks us to trust him, not, because if, not whether or not he will provide, but because of who he is. And I think Abraham has learned to trust God based on his character and who he is, rather than just on the hard things that God asks Abraham to do. Look at the text in verse 7. Isaac asks his dad a great question. It's the question we would all be asking our father if we were in this situation. He says to him, basically, Dad, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He's like, Dad, we have everything. I see that everything is present that we need, all of the materials that we need for the sacrifice. Everything is in check, but there is no animal. And, Dad, this is kind of the main point of the sacrifice, right? Dad, if you have a fire and you have some wood, but you don't have the animal, you've got no sacrifice, It's like, what is it, Dad? Where is it? In verse 8, his father responds. I don't know what your go-to line is whenever you're trying to avoid a difficult conversation. (laughs) Right? But he says to his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now, it could be that he's simply trying to avoid a very difficult conversation with his child. I think as parents or even as people who are in relationship with coworkers and things like that, we, 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 sometimes we go around, right? We're like, oh, uh, you know, like we're firing someone that day, but we talk to them about what's happening the next three months as if they're going to be here, right? You're just avoiding a difficult conversation. But most likely, that's not what's happening here. Most likely, Abraham's faith had finally been built up to the point that he believes that God's going to do what God said he would do. And what God had said he would do is that generations and nations would come from Abraham and Sarah and from Isaac. And so here, here you go. He, he believed that God was faithful. You're talking about a guy who couldn't trust God most of the way that he would provide a son for him. Now he's saying, okay, I'll even sacrifice the son because I know something about your character now. I know something about who you are. I know that you're true to your word. I know that you're not lying to me. I know that I can trust you. And so even though you're asking for the hardest thing I've ever done, I'm going to go forward with it. 
He had seen God do some amazing things, and so he's able to trust God for the future, which brings us this great principle. God's past provision paves the way for present and future faith. God's past provision should, at least, pave the way for present and future faith. And God's provided for Abraham some amazing ways in the past. He kept his word. Did it take decades to have the son born? Yes. But did God finally bless him? Yes. God provided for him. And I think Abraham has finally reached a place. He's got to pass this big last great test. But he's finally reached a place where he can look back at how God's provided. And that fuels his faith for what this God will do in the future regarding provision. And for you and I, hasn't God provided so much in our past? Right? All of us, we look forward and we shake a little bit because we don't know how it's going to go. We look back and we go, oh yeah, he provided. He's provided this and he's provided that. But the question I have for me and for you is, why doesn't God's past provision fuel our faith in what he will do in the future? We we, kind of act like it's up for grabs every time, right? We kind of act like we, we forget that he's done the kind of things we're asking him to do now. Some of us in this room, we've seen God provide a job for us in some amazing ways, but why aren't we trusting him for our current employment situation? In this room, we've seen God bring peace from terrible conflict in our lives, and yet we refuse to trust that he can bring peace out of the conflict we're in today. As a church, we have seen, I have seen, you have seen God do amazing things over the last four years in the existence of our church. But are we going to be willing to trust him over the next four years to do what only he can do in terms of provision? Why don't we allow what he's done in the past to fuel our faith in the future? We literally act like it's a crapshoot. We're literally like, I don't know if it'll happen this time, God. I don't know if you'll show yourself as a provider this time. God, I don't know if you're still doing this kind of thing. You've done it in the past, but are you still doing this kind of thing today? And and God's past provision should fuel our future and present faith in him. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting him? I wrote a letter to uh, our our original uh, staff team here. It was before we even had the whole team. This letter is dated January 7th, 2009. The day before, I had read the text that we're looking at this morning, and I sent this email out to, at the time, it was my wife, and uh, Tim and Kristen Milner, and Ben and Lindsay Lee. There was just the six of us, and at, at this date, January 7, 2009, I had never, ever stepped foot inside San Francisco, okay? Just so you understand kind of what, what's going on. Um, I can't believe we made that decision before we came. Anyway, I've done crazier things, I guess. Here's what I wrote to them. I I wrote one of the verses out of this text, and I said, this verse was part of my daily reading yesterday. It wasn't a new story for me, but it was great to encounter its meaning once again. The one thing God wanted from Abraham was faith and obedience. As Abraham raises the knife to kill his son, he sees the ram, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. I said, as God led his people out of Egypt, he provided a a fire by night and a cloud by day. God provided manna for the Israelites in this desert. God ultimately provided Jesus. I said, one thing has become clear to me, God will provide, which is really easy to say now. It was really hard for me to say back then. We didn't have a partner. No one had a job. We didn't know where the church was going to be just six years ago. I said, as we follow him in this venture, may we exercise faith and obedience. May we be willing to go wherever he sends us and do anything he asks us to do. And let's trust him to be our provider. Here's what I wrote before any of this was uh, a deal at all. I said, let's trust him to, to provide a place to plant this church. Check, right? He did that. Anybody? You're like, I think we're here, Ben. Yeah, this is it. I know you're tired, but we're here. A name to call this church. Did it. Finances to fund this church. Yep. Partners to give and pray towards the launch of this church. Yep. People to attend this church. Yep. 
the perfect place for this church to gather? Come on, I mean, once we started reimbursing your parking, right? It's the perfect place <laughs> for, listen, like, man, we thought eight of you would take us up on that. 35 people later, we are changing the budget, but we're glad. We are glad for that. We asked them to provide homes for us to live in. This was before the whole sticker shock thing happened. We didn't even know. Like, oh, yeah, it's probably the same as it was in the Midwest. Psych. <laughs> and that he would provide new friends in our lives. And I wrapped the letter up January 7, 2009, just saying this. This list could go on forever. I just wanted to share my heart and challenge us all to trust him and depend on him as our provider. Friends, when we look back, God has been so faithful. By that, I don't mean you and I have gotten everything we set our hearts on. And thankfully, we didn't get some of the things that we thought we had to have in order to be joy-filled and to be satisfied in life. But as you look back, please tell me you see his provision. And what I want you to do, if you have a sheet of paper or even like a notes app on your phone, I want you to get it out. Like, yes, the pastor's asking you to take your phone out. Not that you guys ever need my permission, apparently. (laughs) And fantasy football, it's like, God, help them. You know, it's like, give them a touchdown. Get them focused back on this talk. And I just want you to take a few moments and just to write down three amazing things that God's provided for you. Maybe it's things that are most valuable to you. Maybe it's just the way he provided it. It was just stunning to you. I just want you to write those down. And as you write those down, I just want you to, in your heart and mind, say this prayer. God, thank you for being my provider. I don't think I'd do this activity enough. God, thank you for being my provider. And remember, providing isn't just something he did. It's something that he is. Thank you, God, for being my provider. And what I want us to do with this list the rest of the week is to look at it every day, at least once a day. And as you look at this list, I want you to again utter that prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you for being my provider. But I want you just to look at what he's done in your past and allow that to fuel your faith for what's happening in this next season of your life. The God who has been provider is the God who will be provider. And we need to be able to bank on that. We need to be able to be certain of that. God, thank you for being my provider. Well, how, how does Abraham, I hope all of us in here want to grow in our faith, I, I hope. But how does Abraham's faith grow so much that he goes from being a guy that won't trust God to provide a son for him to becoming a guy that trusts God to provide for him, even if he murders his own son. How does he make that transition? That's kind of a big transition, right? Like over here, you've got him going, I don't think you're going to give us a son, so we're going to do this Ishmael thing. Over here, you go, yeah, I can take my son. I don't think it was nonchalant about that, moms, okay? Like, yeah, that sounds like my husband. No, I, that's not, that's, I don't think it was nonchalant about it. I'm just saying he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. It's, it. It doesn't seem like to be a lot of debate. He's like, all right, God, you said this. I'm so convinced. How did he become so convinced? Let me show you this verse from Hebrews chapter 11. It'll be on the screen. A New Testament author of Hebrews saying, here's how Abraham was able to make this massive transition of his faith. It says in 17 of chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, big test, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's, that's, keep that in mind, okay? It's not that we should go around sacrificing our children, everybody. Okay? It's because he was willing to do it because God had made him promise about generations coming from Isaac. Verse 19, here's the, here's the how. He considered, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, 
he did receive him back. He considered that God was able. He considered that God was able. Then how did he know this? Because he became convinced that the God who brought him a child when it was no longer humanly possible. Another text says when Abraham was as good as dead, he's 100 years old. Um, he's having a child for the very first time. He thought, if God can do this, why shouldn't I trust him to do this? Guys, we've seen God do too much to act like we haven't seen anything when we approach present and future circumstances in our lives. We literally act like, oh, I've not seen God do this. I'm not sure he will be a provider for me. Guys, he has provided for Abraham, and Abraham's willing to trust him now. And your past provision from God should allow you and encourage your heart to trust him for what's ahead. It should. So should mine. Abraham says... I believe, God, that even if you allow me to go through with killing this boy, I believe that you can make him rise from the dead in resurrection. Here's what happens for most of us. Even if we're willing to trust God to provide, we try to tell God how he should provide. And Abraham's like, you promise to provide. How you want to do that is up to you. Which leads us to this principle. As we trust God to provide for us, we aren't the ones who get to dictate how he does it. You need to own this principle. As you trust God to provide for you, you don't get to dictate the how. You don't get to say, hey, God, I'm not going to have any money if I don't get a job. You've got to get me into this company at this position at this pay scale. God can do however he wants to do it. If he wants to give you cheap housing, I know you're like that, Ben, I would really increase my faith. Or if he wants to give you a ton of paycheck, or if he wants to give you an inheritance, or if he wants to give you some means by which you can afford it, he doesn't have to give you that salary. If you think you have to have a a marital relationship in the future for you to be content, and you're like, God, I need you to bring um, this to me. This would make me happy. He could just make you content as a single person. That would be provision, huh? Some of you are like, Ben, he has. I hate men. We're not all bad. When you trust God to provide, don't demand the how. Because usually what I found out is that he never does it how I think he should do it. But he does it better usually than how I think he should do it. Don't demand the how. When your faith is steadfast in God, you can with great anticipation look forward to the how. When we moved out here, you guys might think we're crazy. But we thought that God was calling us to start a church with, with these barriers, kind of this, this, the borders right here. We literally said, all right, God, we know it's not a ton of space, but um, we want it to be between Embarcadero and 4th Street, and we want it to be between King Street and Market. Now we're sort of pressing some of those, aren't we? But every time in the three spaces we've been in, God has always provided. Did we know how in this market? No. Was it up to us? No but we could trust that he was going to provide some consultants that are really close to us who, aren't, who don't live here and, and are part of the vision, but they're not on the inside. They're like, hey, you guys, if you're going to get a larger space, you're probably going to go outside of your neighborhood. And I'm like, only kicking and screaming will we go outside of our neighborhood. We didn't uh, demand things of God. The how was up to him, but we felt like he had given us a heart to be here long-term, whatever that might look like. The how is up to God. The how is up to God. You want to have children you can't get pregnant yet? The how is up to God. You want to be able to provide for your family? The how is up to God. The how is up to God. Are you content with that, though? 
The how is up to him. He can do this thing however he wants to. And so then this crazy difficult moment comes, the most difficult moment of Abraham's life. It would be more difficult than leaving his family and his people and his father's household where we started this series in chapter 12. It would be more difficult than waiting decades for a son to be born. He makes this difficult move of sacrificing his son. He raises the knife. He's about to bring it down. And then the text says he hears a voice from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on this boy. I know that you fear God now because you've not withheld from me your only son. He calls it off in that last moment, doesn't he? Isn't it amazing how he does it just in time, right? Thankfully, not a minute later for Isaac's sake and ours. We're like, ah. He calls it off just in time, and he calls it off with just enough. Abraham doesn't look over his shoulder and see a thousand rams, does he? He doesn't look over his shoulder and see two rams. How many rams does he see when he looks over his shoulder? One. Why, Ben? Because one was enough. What you and I want when we trust God to provide, we want God to do it with a ton of spare time, and he wanted, we want him to give us way more than enough, don't we? God, I know you want me to have a little margin. <laughs> In time and money, right? In time and stuff. God, I know that you want me to have a little margin when it comes to time and when it comes to whatever it is that you're going to give me. God, I don't want it to be just enough, but guys, this is what God does. God wants to do it just in time often in our lives, and he wants to do it with just enough, and we need to become men and women who are content with that. How much is enough for you? How much is enough? Is it okay if God does it at the last minute? Is he allowed that in terms of your faith relationship with him? Can he do it on his timetable and can he do it according to his own measure? See, a great question for us is, why would God provide so much for us if it meant we could get by in life without much faith in him? Why would God provide so much for us if it meant we could get by in life without much faith in him? And this is especially important for where we live and what's going on in some of your lives in terms of how much affluence and wealth and, and all the things that we have access to as Americans and even more so as San Franciscans. This is a big deal. We can't possibly think that God would give us so much provision that it would allow us to set aside faith. Does that make sense? Why would God do that? Now, I'm not saying you need to pray for less provision, okay? What I am saying is you need to pray and ask God, what does he want you to do with all of that excess provision so that faith remains necessary for you to continue moving forward in your life? What does the scripture say in Hebrews? Without what, it is impossible to please God. Anybody remember the word? All right, four of you. Gold stars for those four on their way out. They've listened at least one of the last four weeks. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So don't set yourself up a life that causes faith to remain unnecessary. It can't be a life pleasing to God. He's just enough, just in time. Remember, what did Jesus say in his model prayer to the Father? Give us this day our daily bread. He didn't ask for a week's worth of bread. He didn't ask for a year's worth of bread. He didn't ask for a decade's worth of bread. He did not ask for a lifetime worth of bread. He said, give us today our daily bread. Just in time, just enough. Can we be content with that? Can we be content with our daily bread? And then in verse 13, there's a, a great thing happening, a great picture, what's happening with this ram and with Isaac. And it's, it's a picture that comes to mind that's our, that our entire faith in Christianity is based on. It's this phrase, instead of, in verse 13. The last sentence says, Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
Did Abraham hear God say, here's the ram, this is my provision for you? No, when you're trusting God to provide, oftentimes you will know when it's there, won't you? Right? You'll walk away from an apartment or house like, hey, I don't know why, but God's, this is it. Right? Okay, I do know why. It's the only thing less than $2 million, and I've, this has, God, this has, <laughs> this has to be it, right? But you, you, go, you get out of that job interview, right? And, and, and you had all the accolades they wanted. It, it looked like the perfect thing. It was a, an amazing salary, but you knew walking away, this, this, for whatever reason, this isn't God's provision. Have you ever been there? Guys, if every move you and I make in our lives makes sense to us and the world around us, there's a good chance we're missing out on some things God wants to do in us. Does every move in your life make common sense? Now, I'm not asking you to go do stupid and crazy things just to be stupid and crazy. But if every move I make and you make in our lives makes common sense and it's the normal thing, it's the expected thing, I'm not sure we're following the God who shows different kinds of things than that throughout the scriptures. Instead of, this phrase that I said Christianity is built on in verse 13, instead of, the big theological term for this phrase instead of really is the term substitutionary atonement substitutionary atonement. Atonement means that some payment has to be made. The debt has to be paid off. Their atonement must be made. And atonement has to be made because of our sin. Thankfully, that's not the only word that involves us. Otherwise, Christianity literally wouldn't exist. But the word substitutionary is a great descriptive of the kind of atonement that's happening. Here's what it means. In the text, substitutionary atonement is this. Instead of Isaac dying, the ram dies. In Christianity, here's what substitutionary atonement means. That Jesus is dying instead of us dying. It's pretty weighty. I know that. But it's pretty true. The reason we celebrate the cross, the reason why we take communion and talk about the sacrifice Jesus made because it was an instead of sacrifice. I was on the hook for my sin. You were on the hook for your sin. He took it for our sin. So that in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul would write um, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God instead of, instead of. The reason you and I have access to God as our father through Jesus is because of this phrase, instead of. Jesus died for our sins, meaning instead of us dying for our sins. And then verse 14, you see this great thing from Abraham. He says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. What if we got to that kind of confidence in our lives? Hey, there's no money in the bank, but the Lord will provide. Hey, I've got to move for my job, but the Lord will provide. Hey, I've got this relational struggle, but the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And he's saying this about God as a provider. He's not saying providing is something God does. He's saying provider is something God is. And if it is who he is, then you're not going to change that. Your bleak circumstances aren't going to change that. How things appear today to you aren't going to change the fact that God is a provider. But here's a logical question for every one of us. We've all lived long enough to know that we don't always get what we want, right? Haven't anybody get what they want every time? And so the question has to be, okay, Ben, if God is provider and we don't always get what we want in this life, reconcile that for me. How is that so? How is that so? Well, I can only reconcile that in this way. The greatest provision God will ever provide for us is still ahead of us. I cannot promise you, as you know this morning, that the cancer will go away, that you'll make it into your 80s, that you'll have an awesome career, that your kids are going to walk with God the rest of their lives. I can't promise those kind of things. No one can. But I can promise, because God promises those of us whose faith endures, the greatest provision is still ahead of us on this side of our earthly lives. 
is still ahead of us. Jesus said to his disciples when they were getting nervous about him leaving, at least they should have been really nervous about him leaving in John 14, he said to them, hey guys, know this, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you, and I'm going to take you guys to be with me where I am. Ultimate provision. You see, for all of us, anybody exhausted with faith, anybody like, I'm just, I'm just tired of carrying faith in the season of life, but I know for the rest of my life, this faith thing will be required of me if I'm going to press into who God is and trust him to provide. It's required of us, but it's just exhausting at times. Like God, how many more days, how many more years, how many more circumstantial issues, how many more times am I not going to get what I want? Is the parents going to be like this? And you're going to tell me, keep trusting, keep trusting, keep trusting. Friends, when this life is over, for those of us who have locked our anchor of faith onto who Jesus is, we are going to be able to retire that faith one day. We are going to be able to set down our faith once and for all. Anybody looking forward to that? Like, all right, God, I gave it everything I had. I didn't trust perfectly, but I'm done. Why can I set it aside? Because on that day, in that moment, in an instant, our faith will finally and fully be made sight. And it will no longer be necessary. And you're like, Ben, are you telling me the only way through my earthly life is to focus on heaven? That's how a lot of the the saints of old got through with it. For most of us, our present circumstances are amazing so much so that we want to hang on to this and think this is the best we'll ever get. There's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. Would you pray with me? Do you trust God as provider, regardless of what the story is telling you of your life today? Do you trust God as provider, regardless of the appearance of things today? Some of you aren't in the job you want. Some of you don't have the relationship status you want. Some of you don't have kids doing what you wish they would do. Some of you aren't sure about the future. Some of you don't know how long you'll be in San Francisco. Fine. Do you trust God to provide, regardless of what the story appears to be telling us? Because if God can be trusted only when your circumstances are favorable. I'm not sure that's a God worth laying your life down into. But if he is provider, if that's who he is, not merely what he does, then we can stake all of life on him. That when we have to do the hard things, when we have to relinquish the valuable things, when we have to move, when we have to say goodbye, when a loved one dies, we can say, God, this hurts. This is not what I want, but I am trusting that you will be my provider. We've learned so much in this series. May it not be a waste. May it not be in vain. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you love every person in this room. God, I thank you that you've purposed good things for every life in this room. Um, But yet, God, in the midst of our current reality, some of us aren't thrilled with what's going on. So God, help us to trust that you're a provider, no matter the circumstance or how the appearance works. God, you know what we long for and what we think we need, but you know what we actually need. God, would you provide for this church? God, would you provide for the individuals here? God, we see your provision most notably in salvation of Jesus that he's given to us. Jesus, we thank you that you died instead of us having to pay for our sins. We rejoice in that. We sit under that. That is our hope. That is our sure anchor. God, you know what's ahead in this next season for all of us. Give us faith that moves. Faith that doesn't stay on the shelf, but faith that's active. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's uh, sing an appropriate response to what we've talked about.